The reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to the end. Found on page 990 in the Bibles. It's page 990, Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. The parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the plods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, After all these years, I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your poverty with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, Joe. Thank you very much for for reading. I'd love you to keep page uh, 990 open. Luke chapter 15, but just before I speak, um, Johnny very kindly mentioned uh, mentioned in the prayers the midweek meetings of Recovering Truth where we've been kind of 
digesting this stuff on our, each Sunday in our lives um, each week. And I know a number of people have been working through this personally and encountering God in a new way. And I'm going to invite Jo uh, to come up and just share something of what uh, the Lord revealed to her recently. Wonderful, Joe. Thank you. It's, uh, these are steps into freedom and into renewed life. Thank you for sharing that. Let's pray as we have uh, Luke 15 open. Father, wherever we are, that's kind of our heart's cry, that you would lead us into greater and greater freedom, out of slavery from sin and into the freedom that your life in us brings. Please teach us from this morning's Bible reading. Teach us from Scripture. This story of Jesus. Make it live to us, Lord, so that we might live for you. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Various bits of paper. I think you've got a, uh, have you got a kind of sermon outline? 
That's just if I really hope that you will focus on feeding on God's word in the next 20 minutes or so. But just if you find yourself thinking about the shopping list or um, what you need to get for next week or whatever it is, then you can come back uh, in on, um, on this. I'll be following that outline. And two things that are on the desk at the back, which you're really welcome to take away. This purple sheet, little A5, has um, got, I'll mention this later on, but it's the, a kind of a model for repentance, which is what I'm speaking on this morning. Um, so that's at the back. Do take that. And then uh, kind of uh, extended notes on, on um, the idea of uh, and the concept, the gift of repentance. And copies of those are at the back, which hopefully sort of complement what I want to speak on today. Just stuff to take away and digest, as it were. Just to recap very briefly, God has a design for each of our lives that we should walk in perfect freedom. Exodus is, uh, the book of Exodus is this wonderful microcosm Uh, God's people enslaved in Egypt and miraculously brings them out of slavery and into freedom, into the promised land. It's like a sort of a a mini picture of the whole of Scripture, the whole of God's plan, that we should not be enslaved to sin, to lawlessness, to offense against God, but we should live in the freedom of his love and grace and truth. And as God opens our eyes to that, we become aware of the struggle, the spiritual battle in the heavenly realms. We become aware, as we have in the last few weeks, of the devil's schemes, the way in which he plans and strategizes to ensnare each and every one of us so that we're not free to live as God truly intended us to live. Uh, And we saw just a few weeks ago a bit of fun time in the all-age service, that toolbox. Do you remember we got the kids to come up and some of the guys were sort of bashing a nail with a screwdriver and other people were trying to uh, screw a screw with a hammer and it, you know you could kind of get so far you could stick a, those things into a bit of wood but if you had the right tool for the right job then it's so much easier um, I think someone was trying to gouge a hole with a screwdriver and actually we got a drill and you could make a hole in no time the right tool for the right job and when we recognize that the things that enslave us actually to an extent are that they're spiritual in nature then we appropriate spiritual tools, spiritual gifts. We can demolish strongholds just like that. Uh, it can take a lifetime to try and work out. We try and sort of wish a stronghold away. We try harder to be a little bit better. We just take a lifetime of, frankly, becoming self-righteous. But when we appropriate God's gifts and God's tools, then we can smash the power of the enemy in our lives and live free. Here we are in Luke chapter 15. And you'll see from the heading in the NIV, the parable of the lost son. That's my first question, point one. The lost son, question mark. As I think Jesus begins the story, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. I'm not sure that this necessarily is a story of one lost son. I think it's a story of two lost sons and their interaction with a father. This story that Jesus is telling is a bit like our contemporary soap operas. All sorts of characters, all interacting one with the other. An intense interrelation. And the invitation implicitly from Jesus is, who do you relate to in this story? Where do you see yourself? If you were to place yourself in this story, who would you be standing alongside? The younger son? The older son? The father? Let's review the story very briefly. And I know for a number of us it will be familiar. Forgive me if it isn't familiar to you, but just in the story that Jesus tells as a young son who commits two treacherous acts of shame. The first 
is to ask, in verse 12, his father for his share of the estate. You usually received your estate on your father's death, your share of the estate. So to ask for it while your father was still alive was tantamount to saying, I wish you were dead, which was hugely insulting, which would be today, but particularly then to the patriarch of the family. Not only that, to leave home was also thought to be an action of shame. So there's double shame here as he takes his share of the property, which the father freely gives him, and leaves home, sets off for a distant land. And uh, we know the story. Uh, There's a downward spiral. He hits upon hard times. And the utter degradation, verse 16, the ultimate demeanor for this Jewish man, even to associate with pigs for a Jew was demeaning, but to long to be filled with their food Verse 16, well, I mean, the caricature in the story that Jesus is telling is, is already sort of resonating strongly with the ears of his Jewish audience. <laughs> this, is, this is a ridiculous story. This is outrageous. You know, the shame. No one would do that. And a Jewish boy longing to eat pig food. <laughs> and we see the extent of the broken relationship. I've uh, marked it there, verse 19 on the, on the sheet in this speech that he's rehearsing, that he's going to give to his father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The break of relationship. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And I guess that story, as a a spotlight focuses on the younger son, is perhaps why the NIV, I think rather unhelpfully, uh, refers to to this as the parable of the lost son, the younger son. Because... Verse 25, there's an elder son. Jesus is telling a story about two sons. When he came near to the house, verse 25, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother's come home. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Let's just focus on the elder brother for a few moments. He's angry. Verse 28. And we've been beginning, haven't we, to discover when we recognize through the emotions, his anger being expressed. What's going on in his spirit? What is it that's energized that anger that it comes out that his brother, who he hasn't seen, I don't know, for years, is it? For some time anyway, counted as dead, has returned. And the emotion is not joy. It's not reconciliation. It's anger. There's something of a separation, isn't there? There's something of a break of relationship here. And then to his father. You notice how at the end of verse 28, the father went out to the older son as he went out and ran to the younger son. The father's always giving out, going out, sacrificing himself for the sake of these sons. But the older son retorts, verse 29, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Note that phrase. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Do you hear the self-righteousness? I've always done everything right. Never disobeyed your orders. And yet, can't you hear echoes of the younger son in the older son? Actually, with regard to the father, He's simply asking the same question. What can I get out of you? 
you don't even give me a goat. That's why I'm just looking to get things out of you. No different, really, than the younger son. And again, do you note the break of relationship? I've been slaving. He doesn't recognize himself or refer to himself as a son. I've been slaving. Even though I've been living in the family home all this time, I've never left the home physically, and yet my heart has grown cold so that I think of myself as slaving in your presence and for you. Do you see how both sons disown sonship? The uh, 17th century artist Rembrandt spent much of his life actually meditating on this story. He drew and painted various uh, drafts, if you like, of, of this story. And uh, on the screen here, unfortunately it's not, it doesn't show up too clearly, does it? But uh, this is perhaps the best known one. It hangs, hangs in the um, Hermitage in St. Petersburg. It's about two and a half meters high and about two meters wide. It's, it's huge and redolent with these rich burgundy sort of red colors. It, it doesn't come out too well. We've got a bright sunny day, unfortunately. But it's, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's great to have a bright sunny day, but for the sake of the picture, <laughs> look, you know, kind of Google it, and you can see it for yourself on, on the internet. But um, just to pick out, it's, we've got the, the father, the, the elderly figure here, and it's the homecoming. of. It's called the return of the prodigal the homecoming of the younger son. I don't know whether you can see his, his clothes are in tatters and rags. In fact, one foot is barefoot. He's got a shoe on one foot, but he's barefoot on the other, indicative of the poverty to which he's uh, descended. But here he is, home, within the warmth. You see, the light is on the embrace of the father. Um, critics have pointed out of the hands of the father. I don't know if you can see. One of them is, is quite sort of soft and feminine. There's a, there's a sort, of, you know, sort of motherly... And, and one is, is quite strong and masculine, quite protective. There's the, there's the sort of the, the strength and the intimacy in that embrace. And, and you may just be able to make out some figures, other hired hands, I guess, servants, looming in the darkness. And actually, around the edge of the picture, it's quite dark. There's a lot, a lot of gloom. But you can see the other character, can't you? There's light shining on his face, the older son. And I've been, um, I've been looking at this picture over this week as I've been preparing this. I've struck for the, I've, I'm familiar with it. I've, I've read, um, Henry Nouwen has written a brilliant book called The Return of the Prodigal based on this paint, painting, reflections on this painting and the story. And uh, so I've, I've done some thinking and reflection, but had this picture in front of me. And do you know what? At times, I've realized just how massive is the gap, how great is the distance between the father and the older son. A lot of the focus is on the younger son and the in intimacy, closeness of the embrace, the homecoming, the restoration, the healing. But the Lord has, it's, as, it's as if the Lord has drawn my eye to the fact that the, the, far, the, the older son, rather, is, is only just out of the shadows. And there's a distance between him and the father. Now, there may be some of us here who are like the younger son. We can recognize and resonate that we've been on something of a trajectory of self-discovery. I know best. I don't need you. I'll work out life and center my worldview around myself. And it may be, I hope, that in some ways we've come to our senses and determined to turn and to come back to the Father 
from whom all heaven and earth derives its name, from whom is all life and meaning and significance, all discovery. But my hunch is that sat here this morning, and I stand as one of these, there are many of us who actually resonate more with the older son. We've been in the father's house for many years. Maybe that we've never really felt that we've left the father's physical presence. And yet, if we think about it and reflect, maybe we use that picture as an aid. We've been caught in a suffocating web of self-justification. I've done all the right things. I've attended all the meetings. I've done all the studies. I've been a good boy or girl. I've never rebelled. And yet, even as we speak like that, the sense of envy and self-pity when we see other brothers and sisters whom we consider unworthy receiving the Father's blessing. It's worth just um, looking to uh, verse 1 of chapter 15 for the kind of context of these three stories. So Jesus tells a story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then two lost sons. But look at the context, 15 verse 1. Now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He's at home with people who've been like the younger son. And Jesus, as he tells this story in particular, I think he has in mind those Pharisees, those good, upright men, those teachers of law who'd learned scripture by heart. They'd regularly and religiously attended to their lives. And yet there's self-righteousness, there's pride, there's independence, there's self-pity. The application to my life would be when I, as a church leader, hear of other church leaders being blessed and their church ministry being fruitful. They have um, this many in their congregation. Their, their bank balance at the bottom is, is a, a healthy surplus. They have fantastic leaders to do all sorts of ministry. Their preaching is amazing. And I go, wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. And in a quieter moment, I sit down and inspect my heart and ask, what is it that is affecting a stronghold that's not allowing me to release blessing, that, that doesn't want to join the party, but stands distant and outside? Let's focus on the Father. parable of the lost son or the prodigal, parable of the prodigal son as it's uh, traditionally known. You know the word prodigal means to be recklessly spendthrift. To, to spend until you have nothing left. Prodigal. It's often traditionally referred to the younger son but actually isn't that how we might want to describe the father? To spend of his love. To give of all that he has until he has nothing left. That's the action of the father isn't it? Why do lost sons, be they younger sons off on self-discovery or older sons caught in self-justification? 
and self-righteousness. Why do they find it so hard? Why do we find it so hard to return to the Father? This is an extract from Adrian Plass, Christian writer. He says this, Sometimes it's only by inverting Scripture that we recognize the power of the original. He's rewritten the prodigal son. At last he cometh to his senses and saith, All my father's hired workers have more than they can eat, and here I am about to starve. I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father seeth him and runneth to him and pulleth his hair and smacketh his backside and clumpeth him on the ear and saith, where the devil do you think you've been, scumbag? (laughs) And the prodigal replieth, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And the father saith, too right I'll make thee as one of my hired servants. Master, dirty, stop out, inheritance spending, stinker, pinker, prodigal. I suppose thou believest thou canst waltz back in here without so much as a by thine leave and conneth me with thine dramatic little speech? Thinkest thou that this is little house on the prairie? Or maybe thou reckoneth that I was born yesterday? Oh no, third assistant bog cleaner, unpaid for thou. Then the prodigal saith dismally unto him, Oh, oh right, right, uh, 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 fair, fair enough. So uh, just, just to get it straight then, there existeth no question of lots of nice presents and instant forgiveness and an large celebratory meal involving the fatted calf or anything of that nature? In thy dreams, son, replieth the father, the only gift thou art likely to see is the personalized lavatory brush with which thou shalt shortly be presented. And the father taketh the prodigal by that ear which he previously had clumpeth and hauleth him back to the farm. And behold, as night fell, the prodigal's elder brother heareth distant sounds as of an bog brush being applied. And he did strolleth out to the edge of the cesspit after supper, holding an large brandy. And he lighteth an enormous cigar, and looketh down and saith, Evening, Rambo, I see thou hast returneth then. Likest thou thine rapid progress from affluence to effluence? And the prodigal looketh up and saith, Verily thou rebukest me justly with thine clever barb. When I had great wealth, I shared it not with thee. But now I freely offer thee an good share of what is mine. And he flicketh at the oldest brother with his brush, so that a weighty portion of something exceeding unpleasant ploppeth in his brother's brandy glass. And his brother retireth, threatening to tell on him. And the prodigal findeth his father and saith unto him, Behold, all these years during which I was in an far country, mine smug, pie-faced, hypocritical dipstick of umbrother must have caused thee to gnash thine teeth on a daily basis. So how cometh he getteth all the perks like brandy, cigars, and such like, while I remaineth up to mine elbows in other people's poo? But his father replieth, Thine brother is boring, but biddable. Get on with thy work, thou less than baldric, and think thyself lucky. Fun. <laughs>
an inversion of the story, but I wonder whether deep down in our hearts, actually it's, it's a relatively accurate picture of how we see God. Out to get us. We'll pay. Ah. Or, or actually how we might, if we see ourselves as the younger son, we see the older son just making sure he gets his just desserts. I wonder whether, given the wonder of the truth that Christians cherish, I wonder whether those who don't yet come and aren't yet part of us fear that God is like the father in that rewritten story. Or maybe even worse, they fear that the church is full of older brothers, like in that story. And the antidote is for all of us, younger or older, to return to the Father. Repentance is not, it's, it's a turning. And it's not something that we do just at the start of our Christian life. It's an ongoing daily discipline. Repentance is not to, it's not a subject. It's about a person. It's about spiritual life, not a religious exercise. That's what repentance literally means. It literally means to turn about. It's as if, just using these props here, all these wonderful things here represent false gods that hold out a false promise. If you have you know, this amount of money, or you live in that house, or you have these friends, you wear these clothes, you look this way, all these things will mean that you'll be, you'll be prized, you'll be secure. People will think well of you, and that's all that counts. And we, they hold out the promise, and we, we, we kind of look to grab them. And we hold them for a while, and, and yet after a while, we recognize that they, they disappoint. They cannot fulfill what they promise. And repentance is to turn from false promise. And let's imagine the pulpit here is the Father, is God, who promises to secure me in every way in Christ. Repentance is to turn from those things and to turn to the Father. It's to walk home. It's to come home and to receive his embrace. Like Rembrandt pictures in his famous painting. Repentance is to, to come home, to return to the Father in order that we might be restored. Let's look in verse 20 and 22 at the action of the Father. While he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and was filled with compassion. I've uh, noted these down on the sheet. He ran to him. People often say that the thing about this story, it's a great story of Jesus, but it doesn't contain reference to the cross. Well, not directly, but there are very strong echoes in the action of the Father. For a patriarch to run was such an undignified thing to do. Men and women, boys and girls, they came to the Father, and the Father stood still and received them. For a father to hitch up his robes and to run was the most undignified thing. It's sort of akin, I suppose, to a you saw a headmaster running down the corridors in a school. It, or if you saw the prime minister running down the, the chambers in, in the House of Commons, it, you know, you, you, it would be odd. And so slightly ill-befitting. Well, this is you know, ten, hundred times uh, worse. 
We think of the father demeaning himself in this way, and it reminds us of the way in which God's only son demeaned himself, was undignified as he hung on a cross. He hugs him and kisses him, indicative of the great exchange on that cross. Jesus was cursed in order that you and I might be kissed to receive the fresh embrace, the renewing embrace of the Father. And then verse 22, look, bring the best robe, a sign of, of distinction. I've, I've picked you out. I've chosen you. The Father, he's robed each and every one of you in the best robe. He knows who you are. He's run to you. He's paid the price for you. He puts a ring on your finger. A ring is a sign of authority. That's the authority that we have in Jesus. He gives us sandals for our feet. As I'm sure you know, in a Jewish household, the servants were barefoot and the family were, had shoes or sandals. It's a slightly odd reference. Why does the father of all these things, he gives him sandals? Well, it's to indicate something that the father has always known. This boy has always been a son. He says, make me like one of our hired servants. I won't have it. Put shoes on his feet. A child. A son. Standing in all the inheritance of the father. Who generously gives to all without finding fault. That's the action of the father. That's the father to whom we come. It's the father who's had everything all along for the older son. It's always been there. What is it in your heart, he says, that you missed it? that you weren't able to see the love that pours and flows out of my heart. The story is an invitation for all of us to keep coming home. When we feel our hearts wandering towards uh, these things that can hold us strong, when we feel our hearts growing cold, when we recognize, as Joe was uh, kind enough to, to share earlier, elements where we've grabbed control of our lives. And when the Lord reveals that, it is to let go of those controlling elements in order that we can be controlled by his loving embrace. On this um, pink sheet, which I'd love you to take home and, and to use as a sort of template, but here is a sort of an analysis of repentance. And if we can have this on the, the screen, I literally just whip through the headings. It's to recognize, first of all, like the younger son, we need the Father. It's to repent, to turn from what we know is wrong in order to turn to our loving Father. It is to spend time, thirdly, receiving his forgiveness. Recognizing that God has already paid the price. We are, in one sense, already forgiven. We don't have to keep asking for forgiveness. He has forgiven us. What we do is we receive his forgiveness. Sit and soak in that a while. Picture, oh, I haven't got it now, but picture that Rembrandt or some other equivalent. There's a Charlie Mackesy uh, version of the same. The embrace of the Father, home, safe, clothed, warm, provided for. All of that flows out of the forgiveness that closes the distance and that brings intimacy and oneness. As we recognize the uh, effect of the enemy on our lives, fourthly, Part of the, the sort of analysis of repentance is to rebuke the enemy. 
He's defeated. The cross has defeated the power of the enemy. All he can do is spuddle out lies. They have no hold on us as we stand in Jesus. We tell Satan where to get lost. We have the authority with, as it were, the ring on our finger. We have the authority to do that. And finally, and I'll be speaking more about this next week, replace former sinful activity and patterns with spirit-filled, alternative, life-giving patterns of thought and behavior. Final thought, and I finish with this. It is that the word repentance or returning has a kind of uh, a sister word in, in the Bible, uh, which is translated restoring. Often when, you know, return to the Lord or repent and return to the Lord. And uh, particularly in the Old Testament, it's, it's within this idea of being restored. So Psalm 23, he restores my soul. It's tied up in this idea of when I come back to the Lord, return to him, he begins his work of restoration. This is how we find completeness and wholeness. This is how lost sons are found, how dead sons come alive again. This is how we live free. It's when we appropriate the five R's of the repentance model and we come home. Amen. Let's just have a moment of quiet as we sit. Just the two images on the screen, the, the picture of Rembrandt's, or it may be this, um, oh, it's gone now, but the 5R model. It may be that the Lord, even as I've been speaking, as we've reflected on this story, by his spirit has been at work. There are areas you're recognizing where you're distant from the Father. I'd love now just to give you an opportunity to respond, to repent. That means just to turn from what you know is not life-giving in order that you might turn to the author of life. It's coming to the Father. It's saying sorry. It's receiving his forgiveness. It's rebuking the enemy who loves to ensnare us in his hold. It's determining as we walk out of here into Monday and the rest of the week and the rest of the year, it's determining to put in place a lifestyle that is lived in the opposite spirit to the one that led us away. That's the gift of repentance. Father, I ask now by your spirit that on each and every one of us you teach us and reveal to us more of the gift of repentance turning from death to life from darkness to light that we might live free and be a witness to your freedom and your life and your glory and your truth in our places of work and amongst our family and friends and for all that lies ahead in the coming weeks and months. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.